What's going on, y'all? James Hicks here from Infotainment News and ITN Live. Look, been wanting to do this for a long time. This being starting a podcast to go along with the with the site and go along with the other social media platforms we have. But been always trying to find the right platform to use. Right, been looking for how to get the message out to our engaged readers, our engaged viewers how to essentially really how to monetize and believe it or not I found the right platform that's getting the job done that's going to be easy to use and easy to set up that platform is anchor anchor is a one-stop shop for recording hosting and distributing your podcast best of all it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use and now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. Check it out. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. This is an ad for Anchor, if you didn't guess that by now. Check it out. If you want to get started with Anchor, if you want to start sending out your message, owning your own platform, broadcasting your message, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me, join the rest of the diverse uh, authors and owners of content out there. Get your podcast off the ground. Let us know where it is. Talk to you soon. Y'all be cool. Good evening, everyone. James Hicks here from Hicks New Media. Uh, thank you for joining us for another edition of Perspectives and Focus. Tonight, we have a wonderful show for you. I'm glad you are able to attend a very meaningful message, and uh, hopefully there'll be some, some engagement with my guest today because it's a timely, relevant topic of the day that needs to be discussed. Uh, my guest today, Montel Allen. Montel Allen is the founder of NBA Sports, a not-for-profit independent institution that's dedicated to providing quality service for minority and underprivileged student-athletes in their efforts to pursue college aspirations. Their goal, bridge the gap between minorities, underprivileged student-athletes, and college education using sports as a hybrid platform. This is accomplished by helping young men and women get through the process and achieving a higher level of education. Tonight, we're going to talk about all the efforts that NBA sports has achieved. We're going to chat a little bit about the process of recruiting for sports, especially here in California, and how over the past 
24, 24, 25 years with cutbacks, it has been directly affecting men of color within their communities. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Montel Allen. Montel, how you doing, sir? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'll start off talking a little bit about my my organization, NBA Sports. It was a nonprofit I started uh, several years ago. And like you said, it definitely helped bridge the gap, especially for those underprivileged and those having the opportunity to go to college. And using that platform of sports, probably football for men of color to be able to get into schools, educate themselves, and be able to give back to the community. Awesome. So let's let's rewind just a little bit because I mean that, that's the big picture. That's what we want to spend some some time talking about. Uh, and I think that's a fantastic uh, task, right, that you've taken on because that that needs to happen and that needs to happen specifically for folks within our community. And and it's good to see someone that looks like us out there representing and really trying to to move that needle in a positive in a forward direction but outside of the corporate world tell the folks who montel allen is oh me man i'm just (laughs) i'm gonna put you on the spot i'm a i'm a guy that that, you know i was raised in sacramento california uh a good friend of yours and one of my great friends kevin bracy is the one that links up uh we've been partners in crime for i don't know how long and man i'm just i'm a i'm a real passionate guy i'm a family man I'm really passionate about kids and their opportunities because I know how hard it is. I know I was the lucky one to get out of my crew. I mean, okay. I was just I was just thinking about the other day, man. By the time I was 14, you know, I witnessed I witnessed my my brother being killed to gang violence. I witnessed drug addiction. I witnessed alcoholism. I was raised by a single mother. Um, I, I witnessed our house getting shot up uh, when we were young. I witnessed all these things going on. Living in Meadowview apartments by the Bur- by Burbank, living yep. over there. Uh, you know. My mom was lucky when I was 14, we moved to we moved to Citrus Heights, which was a blessing, you know, um, due to her situation. We, we, we you know, got better, but we were raised in Freeport. I lived in the gardens. There was a lot of stuff going on. And I'm thinking back, man, by the time I was 14, I witnessed all these things. I mean, that's post-traumatic syndrome for most people. You know, yes, sir. It is. That, yeah. Witness all that going through. And I was able to, to, you know, internalize that, use it as a motivational skill, um, go to college and be successful and graduate from college. You know, got my master's. I've been working in corporate America for several years. And, you know, and I, and I had the opportunity to play football. You know, football was my outlet and my main outlet to be kind of do, do that. And I want to be able to get that opportunity back to, to some young men because I know they're going through either a similar situation as I went through or even worse. Yeah. So let me ask you that because that's, that's very interesting. Just I, I know those areas. I know those neighborhoods. I've lived in those neighborhoods, some of those neighborhoods as well. Mm-hmm. They're challenging, right? Again, you, you're surrounded by a, a lot of pulls in one particular direction. It's easy to fall into whatever trap, peer pressure, whatever you want to call it. How did you personally pull yourself out of those particular situations and say, you know what, I myself have to do something better or I know that there's something better for me. And, and how did you turn that into a desire to help others as well once you got of age of education of means and things of that i think the 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 starting point for me was definitely when my brother got pat my brother passed away i mean it happened like i said when i was 14 years old my first year in high school um he was at a you know he was he was a guy that was he was a guy known in the neighborhood pretty tough guy doing his thing we we had just moved to citrus heights he always wanted to keep going back to the old neighborhood in freeport things having kind of stage fright or is it just not being able to articulate from the technical to the to the layman side. Right, and there's a couple of things there, James, but I think a great way of starting the conversation is how to structure 
a presentation. Mm. This could be a pitch deck for investors. This could be, you know, if you're not in the tech industry, just a general presentation. And I call this the puzzle method. So think of public speaking like a jigsaw puzzle, right? You know, those thousand piece puzzles you do with your family, you know, sometimes right. during Christmas or something or Thanksgiving, whatever you're into. And the question I have for you is if you were doing a puzzle, which pieces would you start with first and why? Well, everyone starts with the outside because they're the easiest. Exactly. Everyone starts right. with the outside because they're the easiest, like you mentioned, perfectly. But the question we need to ask ourselves is why don't we do that in public speaking? We have a presentation in two days. And this is also true with a lot of founders I've worked with, by the way. They got a pitch yeah. investor meeting in a couple of days. So what do they do? They shove a bunch of content. In other words, they start with the middle pieces first of the puzzle. And then they get to their last slide and they go, uh, yeah, so uh, thanks. <laughs> Every single time. So the key to public speaking, James, is understanding the following. Solve it like you would a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first. Do the introduction 50 to 100 times. That'll take you two hours, max. Do the conclusion 50 to 100 times. Because what's a great movie with a terrible ending? A terrible movie. So do the same yeah. thing. And then after with the confidence that you have, then mm -hmm. tackle the middle. But remember, much like puzzles, you don't want to do a thousand piece puzzle alone. Get other founders, get different perspectives. Ask me, I do that for free just to promote my channel. You know, just get a team together to push for the middle. That's how you solve the public speaking puzzle. Interesting. And do, do you find, because that's a whole different dynamic, right? Do you find training an old dog to this new trick, right? Do you find that difficult with folks who are seasoned a little further on in their careers? Or as, as you had mentioned, right, you're looking for the kind of that younger generation. Is it, is it easier to reach to them because they're not already skewed by a whole bunch of uh, already principles that, that they've learned from the workforce and those kind of things? Right, that's a great question. So, so one way of thinking about this, at least from my experience, the people who are younger than me are usually people who watch my videos with yeah. some exceptions. And the people that are older than me are usually clients of mine. So when I think about both of those perspectives, okay. the people who are younger than me that, you know, that I just, you know, give advice to for free because, you know, they're running a startup, they're just getting started or something. They're very, they're listening, they're digesting, they're absorbing every tip because they see me as credible. They go, oh, well, this guy's been, you know, VC and all that stuff. But the people who are much older than me, Right? They look at me very differently. They go, who's this, who's this kid? He's going to tell me how to... <laughs> so for them, the strategy is very different. Well, actually, I have the fortune now. I don't have to work with people who, who don't respect my work. But, but I guess when I started, my approach... Because you've already laid that groundwork, right? So, so you're already to a point where you've got the credibility, I guess, would say, right? Exactly. Like I've demonstrated yeah. my value in the market. But, yeah. I, but I think the advice I have for, for young people out there who are trying to build that is two things. One, never sell to someone who doesn't want to be sold. You won't see me reaching out to the SVP of Bank of America. Like, I just won't do it, right? It's not worth it. Even if even if they found me credible, they, they, they already have other speech coaches. It doesn't make sense to bring me on and to sell me to the board and all that stuff. It doesn't make sense. So don't sell someone who doesn't want to be sold. But the other part that's more important is show, don't tell, right? I don't tell people that I know my stuff. I don't tell people that I know how to solve people's pitch decks. I don't tell people that I know I can make them communicate better. I'll show you. I'll be like, I'll watch one of your keynotes on YouTube. I'll poke 60 holes in them. And then I'll just send you the feedback. And you'll, they'll always reply with how much do you charge, right? So show, don't tell.
So you're the teacher with the red pen going through each one of each slide on my deck and making sure you know what forget punctuation, it's delivery, it's it's am I looking straight into camera, those kinds of things. But that so that needs to happen though, right? Because I think forget just VCs, forget uh an entrepreneur with a pitch deck. I mean, that's a skill that needs to happen on every day-to-day basis, right? So professional and personal being able to effectively communicate. And if no one really tells you what you can't see, but what you've become accustomed to doing, then you're not going to progress forward, right? So so you're essentially helping us perfect and, and better our ourselves. You're doing the apple, right? You're giving us something we need before we even know we need it. Absolutely. And I love the way that you say it. I think what, what's fascinating about this show is I can look at it through two different lenses, which I usually don't do. But in the tech side of things, you know, when we, when we think about communication, we just go, oh, right, I guess it's something I need to do. I'm not really sure if it's something I have to do. So let me tell you exactly, if you're a tech founder listening, why you need to master this. The reason is because not all venture capitalists are entrepreneurs. In fact, a lot of them, mm. right, and especially if you, don't, if you don't live in San Francisco, but most of them around the world. Or actually have like have no idea what's happening in the tech space. They're traditional VCs. So we're talking investment bankers, finance people, consultants at McKinsey. You know, people who had very traditional backgrounds, the MBA type characters, who then go into VC. So in my opinion, for those types of people, you actually more about you know more about where the future is going than they do. But based on their internal beliefs of who they were before, they are looking for the same cues even if those cues are wrong. So for example, if you went to Harvard, that means something to a tr- traditional VC. The entrepreneur VC who exited you know, Zappos, right? If Tony Shea is looking yeah. at your business, he doesn't, uh, care if, yeah. he doesn't care if you have a bachelor's degree because he knows right. what, the, what, the, what the markers are. Do you have a problem? Or are you solving the problem? But for, for the traditional VC, they're looking for clean sides. They're looking for all of those things. So my advice is, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. Maybe it's not the most important thing. Your product is obviously the priority. But put all the coins in your basket. Like, take put all the eggs in your corner. Like, add increase your probability as much as possible, especially yeah. today, since the fundraising environment is much different than it was in 2019, literally a year ago, right? Yeah. So that's my advice for tech people. For general people, though, understand, and this is true with the tech people too, that communication has very little to do with presentations. It's everything. It's the tough conversation that you have with your spouse or your husband or your your yeah. partner, your children. It's the dinners that you have with the people that you love. It's the way that you explain your business at a networking cocktail, though virtually now. It's everything that you do. So understand that by mastering communication, it'll, it'll return back a lot in whatever the dream you have. And and I, I always tell folks, irregardless of what, position that, that you're in or what industry and everyone's in sales, right? If, if you, if you think about it at kind of the core level, we're all, in, we're selling ourselves, we're selling a product, we're selling a service, we're, we're selling our methodologies, our mentality, you know, all, all of that. So we, we're all constantly selling something, even consciously or unconsciously. And I think if, if you're not aware of that, you can't communicate effectively whatever that message is that, that you're trying to push or push to someone so if, if you go through that where again it's not just what's in it for me it's what's in it for you as well and, and trying to find a, a means of bringing value to the person that you're talking to 
that's and, where you win. Well, that, that's yeah. where that's where you cross kind of that 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 you know someone with the Heisman and and holding you back and saying you know what uh, you've got me for three minutes I'm not paying attention uh, I'm leaving kind of thing. I'm with you. You know, I think I think the the follow up to what you're saying that I completely agree with is founders need to realize that a pitch is not some demo day presentation where they pizzazz a group of people. A pitch yeah. is an everyday thing. You're pitching to new employees to work for you. You're pitching to investors who want to invest in you. You're pitching to founders if you need people to add to your team. You're pitching to everybody, customers, clients. So you need to learn how to explain your business. And like you said, in a three-minute version, in a 30-second version, in many different ways so that you can right. appeal to the right target that you're speaking to. So now let me ask you a question because you've got, uh, what is it, five basic tips and tricks for mastering your communication skills. Go, go over those, those tips in terms of how folks can, from a layman's perspective, again, just be, being able to put those into action today. What, what are those five tips and, and tricks that you, that you have out there? Absolutely. Happy to share that, James. So the first one is silences. So silences means great speakers use pauses to emphasize key messages in their pitch. So let's say, I want to emphasize this part or that part. I'm using pauses to effectively engage you, to show you that this part right here matters. So how do you do that? In my opinion, there's many ways of going about it, but the trick that I have to share is called the forced silence drill. Essentially what you do is you can do this a partner, you can do this alone, but the idea is to have someone pause you forcefully. So let's say you give a presentation. Mm. This could be a pitch. This could be an elevator pitch, whatever you're trying to work on. Do it twice. One time, as you normally would, record it. And then second time, have somebody pause you. Here's the punchline. You actually don't need a speech coach for this. All you need is the other partner to have watched the first version. So let's say I'm doing this with James. James watches me present. And then the second version, James goes, uh, you know, Brendan's going a bit too fast here at the beginning, at the end, in the middle. So when he presents this again, James just pauses me and pauses me again. And whenever he points the finger, I have to pause. But what's interesting is 100% of the time when the individual watches both recordings, they're always shocked because the second version with James pausing me sounds infinitely better than the first one. So by realizing that we sound better with pause, we go, wow, we actually do sound better with this stuff. Then we start practicing it. That's number one. Okay. And then, you know, so yeah, please, go ahead. Because so, this is incredibly fascinating to me. So I even also wonder if the one with the, the drill with the pauses may even be shorter. And, and the reason that I say that is we're speeding through. We're excited. We've got a topic we want to want to get out. A lot of times We'll stutter. We'll, that's where the ums and the ahs come in, right? So, so, so there's that air of non-productive communication. But if if I'm pausing and letting something that I say, letting a topic or letting something resonate, I'm focused and I'm and I'm able to slow down the speech. I'm able to have a more deliberate conversation instead of it being all over the place. But again, you know, a whole bunch of uh, those types. I'm I'm reading into I'm reading into this and, and hopefully I'm going the right way. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead, Brandon. No, no, please do. Or else it's just going to be a monologue with myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's always it's always a pleasure, and and I completely agree with that. 
So just an advanced tip here for those who want to push this a bit further, and this is going to be especially true for the tech community. This is called the long stairs exercise. Essentially what you do is you go up to somebody that you love in your house and you stare at them for three minutes and you don't say a word. Most people cannot do this, especially if you're a developer because <laughs> you're spending all day coding. You're not spending enough time staring at people because you don't go to enough social events. And what this does, even if it seems childish, is it makes you more comfortable in the silence. So when you go back to your actual presentations and you pause for two seconds, four seconds, three seconds, it's much easier for you to do that. Whereas normally you wouldn't be able to. Number two, ums and ahs. The oh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like I set you up or anything, right? Yeah. But, but okay. Right. It's the you knows, the so's, the likes, yeah. whatever, uh, whatever flavor of ice cream you're into. Right. So, so the idea with ums and ahs is to realize the following. By improving your ability to silence and pause for longer periods of time, your ability to say less filler words will get better. Because if I can use the pause, I can leverage it to get rid of the ums and ahs, right? So mm -hmm. a good way of thinking about this is that the very same pause. So let's let's kind of think of this differently, actually. When I say a filler word, the reason I say it is to fill up space to figure out what I need to say next. So let's say I'm talking to you right now, James, and I forget what I want to say next. I go, uh, uh, right, that's what I was supposed to say. So I use filler right. words to buy time. That's what we all do. Whereas what great speakers do, exceptional speakers do, is that same time they say nothing. They fill it with absolutely nothing. So let's say I don't know what I want to say next. All I have to say is absolutely nothing. And then I keep talking. So the way that you do that is you get better by getting more comfortable at pausing in general. And then you can infiltrate those into your presentations so that you say less filler words. Simple cause and effect right? Do one, get the other. Does that make sense on your end? No, no, that, that does. And again, it's the fact that you said, you know, it, it is so simple. And again, it's something that you typically would not think about, but it's, it's incredibly powerful when you start honing these skills and when you start utilizing these, these tools and, and take things out of your toolbox. So, okay. Absolutely. And then there's number three, right? Audience mastery. Okay. For audience, all you really need to know is this. Great speakers think about their audience, but the best speakers in the world obsess over them. They understand the very psychology of who they are and communicate it back to them. And the best tech founders in the world are very customer obsessed, but even the best can't transition that obsession with the product into their obsession with the presentation. They don't have the same okay. love for the product as they do for presenting the product, which is always fascinating for me. But, but the idea is simple for anyone watching. If you care enough about the audience, the, the answers and how you need to communicate, they'll tell you. Right? So when I started Master Talk, I had, what, like seven video ideas? And then my audience kind of, especially one in particular, kind of just said, Brendan, uh, why don't you just make videos on breaking down other speakers? And I just looked at him and said, right <laughs> i should probably <laughs> do that that's a good idea right so so the idea is by listening to your audience by understanding their dreams their aspirations who they are who they want to be at an obsessive level it allows you to get better at honing your message back to them 
So a good easy thing that you can do right now that no very little founders do is they don't have long dinners or I guess virtual coffees in this case with their core customer base or the core audience that they present to. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. If you use me as an example, there is nobody more in my there is nobody in my industry who has had more conversations with eight year olds about public speaking. There's just nobody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I so that means I have insights on the industry that nobody else does. So, I'll give you an example. I give a workshop to a couple of eight year olds, and I thought eight to like fifteen year olds, and I thought it was super simple in the ways of explaining it. And they came up to me and they just said, "What's a CEO?" And I just went, right, what is a CEO, right? I have no idea. I should probably not use that word in a presentation. So just by understanding their psychology, it helps me make better YouTube videos. But since nobody's hitting that demographic on the platform, it gives me a huge competitive edge that nobody in public speaking coaching has on YouTube. So that's just a tiny example. I can use a tech example, Airbnb. We have to understand with the company that before Airbnb existed, Sleeping at strangers' houses and paying them was a thing. Like VRBO, you know, Expedia, yeah. like they that existed. So what did Airbnb do differently than everyone else? They didn't create something new. Straight sleeping at strangers' houses and, and asking them to pay for it was always a thing. But they realized when talking to their users, especially the first hundred in New York City, they noticed that the biggest thing that scales this type of service is belonging and trust. And that is why Airbnb's motto is the following. We want everyone to belong anywhere, everywhere, right? But they only got that from talking to their users. If they never talked to their users, they didn't work because they were so obsessed by their users that they took a flight from San Francisco during YC, Y Combinator for those who are listening, (laughs) to New York City and took photographs of all hundred of their Airbnb listings because they needed professional photography. And they had lunches and dinners with all hundred of them do things that don't scale right so that basically what through that information they killed their competition now where else do you stay for a hotel you only go to airbnb barely nobody that's uses VRB, right because they no, understand that's true. That, yeah it, it, it's become synonymous really with because you trust they, they've got what is it they call them the super hosts right so you trust that whole model that, that, that they built you, you trust that they're gonna there's going to be uh, remediation if there's a problem with the with the location and things of that nature. So that that really does make sense. And I, I didn't I didn't realize that they went to to that extent, right? To understand the client and the person that their message was actually geared for, right? Everyone again can have have a pitch. Everyone can have a product and have a service. But if you don't tailor that for for your actual audience you're going to get left in second, third, or fourth place like some of the other companies that you mentioned as opposed to Airbnb. Right, which means you'll die in this in this industry anyways. <laughs> and, and, but, in 2020, and, you know, it's just tough. As this year, if you want to be even more specific, it's going to be pretty tough for some of those other organizations to come out of this uh, in the black because uh, it no one is going out anywhere for the most part. And only that strong brand awareness, only that strong... Um, appreciation for the product and the service provided, that'll bring me back there once all of this is done with. But the other ones, right. fly by night. 
Right. And, and just to give you another example, because we were talking about Zoom before we, we started, you know, a lot of people look at Zoom's success now. They look at Eric Yuan, who's the founder of the company. They go, oh, yeah. wow, this guy's like super successful. But they don't understand the backstory. Like this guy used to work at WebEx. He was a senior vice president there. He pitched Zoom to them and they told him he was an idiot. And he got so frustrated that he left and started Zoom and crushed them. Right. So that's the point. The best founders on the planet. And also the best speakers. It's kind of cool. I'm talking by like two different layers. It's fun. I, I, I love it. You guys kind of have a split brain yeah, going on right now. But the idea is the best founders and the best speakers are, are A, obsessed about their audience, and B, are equally as obsessive of communicating what the customer wants back to them in a presentation. And obviously, Steve Jobs <laughs> is another good example. But the idea is master your audience. And here's a couple of questions you can use to start with this. One, simple, who's your audience? Two, what is the goal of the presentation? And more specifically, what are the needs and expectations of that audience? So if you think about me, sure, I present public speaking to different crowds, but the needs and expectations of the seven-year-old girl I was talking about earlier is very different than the Fortune 500 executive that I coach, mm -hmm. right? So those are all different. Number three, how are you going to communicate your ideas in a way that gets people excited to talk about them? It's easy coming up with content. You can go on internet. You can go on, look at your tech stack. You can figure all that stuff, put it on a bunch of slides. If you get communicate it in a way that people want to listen to you, then you might as well keep trying because <laughs> people are just not going to follow you. So that's number three. Well, well give some examples of that because, I mean, that's, it's almost easier said than done, to be honest with you, right? Because, again, when you're standing in front of, of a group, an audience, either investors or subject matter uh, experts, things of that, that it, you're presenting a solution or a pitch or whatever the case may be, it's hard to raise that bar. We, we, some of, some folks can do it. I, I'm not too bad. I, I, I can do it pretty well, too. I, I, you know, I'm going to be modest, but you know, I, I, when I, I tell my wife when I'm in front of the stage, I do the jazz hands and, I, and we make it happen. But, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to learn that. I don't think I could have learned that. I think it's something that's innate to you as well, right? You, you've got to have something about your personality that allows you to, when the lights go on, flip the switch and kind of go and rise up to be a different level. So, so give, give me some, some examples of, again, how to make that into reality. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to say, but how do you actually put that into action? Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about that. So, so the idea is simple. Let's take the two, the two people I gave. Seven-year-old Rebecca, 57-year-old Tim. Okay, let's, use, let's run that example. So Rebecca tugs my shirt Okay, at the end of my workshop. She comes up to me and she said the following. Uh, Brennan, how do I learn how to speak like you? So any great speaker will kind of just look at her and say, oh, you know, she wants to get better. She wants some public speaking tips. But a world-class speaker knows without a doubt that what Rebecca is asking for has nothing to do with public speaking, but rather a boost in confidence. What Rebecca is actually saying is the following. Let's actually pretend she's 10, not 7, actually. So what she's saying is that Rebecca, she's saying, Brendan, for the past 10 years of my life, nobody told me I was a great speaker. Could you be the first one? Huh. That requires incredible amounts of empathy. So the great speaker pats her on the head and goes, keep going, kid. But the best speaker in the world does, or one of the best, they crouch down, they look at Rebecca in the eyes, and they say the following. 
Well, you know, Rebecca, when I was five years old, I sucked at communication. So trust me, <laughs> you're already really good. But I'll tell you a secret that you shouldn't tell anyone else. That let's keep between us. If you share that beautiful smile of yours to the world, I think that you'll be an incredible speaker. What do you think? But because I'm well-dressed and I have a nice suit on that day, she gets red in the face and then presents. Why? Because I gave her what she wanted. That's an example of Brendan's craziness here. But the idea is understand from that example, and then I'll use Tim as well as a contrast here. But the idea is understand understand how psychotic I am about my audience. Like I'm so crazy that I understand Rebecca as much as she understands herself. And I just met her, right? That's how you get better. It's extreme empathy. Now, Tim, Tim is the same thing. And notice another thing I'm doing is role-playing. I'm actually playing the characters of that thing. I actually force a lot of my clients to do that. So it's something you should try as well because it just breaks you out of your shell of the boredom of presentations that were were prisoners (laughs) in this industry. So Tim is the same thing. So Tim, I walk into Tim's office and this is what it sounds like. Yeah, Brennan, come over here. Yeah, I got 10 minutes, actually seven. Why do you look like you're 16 anyways? Uh, go through some of the presentation decks that I suggested you and don't waste my time. So how I respond to Tim is very different, right? I look at Tim and I say, Tim, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'd love to spend seven to eight minutes just going through two or three key areas of improvement that I have for your presentation deck. And I would love for you to implement them so that you can increase your sales funnel for the next meetings that you have coming up for today. So notice how I'm extremely professional in the way that I'm speaking to Tim. Mm-hmm. Though for the mm-hmm. record, I usually don't coach people like Tim anymore. But <laughs> the point that I'm driving is even if I'm presenting the same content, that's the same content to both of them. Yeah. To a certain yeah. extent, they both want confidence, but their needs and expectations are completely different. Tim's looking for a result, and Rebecca's looking for a push, a push to do better and be better. So how does this apply back to you? If you're a founder, this means you better understand all of the stakeholders of your business, investor, customer, you know, founder, employee, what their incentives are, what are they motivated by? And if you have no clue how to do this, you need to ask someone who does. That means somebody in the the company who can come up to you and tell you it, provide it. And if you're not willing to listen, you're just a bad founder. But the idea is, you know, you need to be willing. If you don't have the data, you need to ask someone who has the data, right? And I do that with a lot of startups. They go like, oh, well, Brennan, what do you think of this? And I'm like, guys, you need to be thinking about this. And I'm like crazy and stuff. But anyways, the point is you need to understand all those funnels and ask yourself those questions. And if you don't know, or if you're not sure how to do this, start with the simple conversation. I don't have hour long dinners with eight-year-olds. I just sit next to them 30 minutes before my kid and I go, hey, how's it going? I'm Brendan. They're like, oh, you're the speaker. And I just talk to them for 30 minutes. You just listen to them. And you start to realize very quickly, especially in her case, that, hey, if I say too much things, like she's not going to understand a single thing of what I'm saying. Right. I'm going to keep this like simple, happy, go lucky, like encouraging. Whereas when I'm with my executives, I'm like throwing them against the walls. Like you guys suck. Like take, like get better. <laughs> right? That's so different. Very different energies. So uh yeah. Hopefully well, and, and you, you, I mean, you think about it too. It's you have to adapt the message for the audience. I, I think that's kind of really what you're saying, and kind of as I was saying, being able to break it down to different terms. Yeah, everyone who is technical can talk the technical piece and, and can talk about the bits and the bytes, the zeros and ones, how to code or or what the widget will do. 
but explaining it to them from a solutions perspective, explaining it to them from a business perspective, the what's in it for me, not you know what's in it for you, not me type of thing. How how what we're talking about brings value to you. That's a whole different kind of conversation. You can have that with that ten year old, and you can have that with with, with crazy Tim as well. But crazy. You're, I'll call him crazy Tim from now. That's you know, yeah, you know, you you probably are much much more professional in that conversation than I would. I'd probably th- throw in this water on him and, and said, just uh, no, but I, I won't do that. Um, I, I, I'm curious. So let let me ask you about. So we've, we've talked about the business in terms of what you do, who you talk to, and how you provide that information. I'm, I'm going to ask you a 2020 question. How has this whole stoppage of the world affected your business, right? Because, again, you're not able to go out now and actually have many of those face-to-face direct meetings. And, and body language, right, is so key in terms of communication and presentation. That direct eye contact is so key. It's it's tough on Zoom and and, and video conferencing. How is how is the year of, of COVID affected Mastercard? Right. So definitely a couple of things there. So easy one we can just get out right of the way. So eye contact. The only tip I had because all of a sudden my video doesn't apply anymore since it's virtual is keep your eyes on the lens at all time. The best way to do that is put a picture of somebody that you love just on top of the lens. Or put something like a food or something, and it's easy. So you always you always remember to look. You're always like, oh, look at that pizza up over there. You're like, yeah, it's tasty. Just a small trick I got from somebody else. So that 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 takes that okay. care of that. But for All COVID right, so in I'll, general, so, so, so I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll put my uh, Rocky Road ice cream, a picture of my Rocky yeah. <laughs> Road right, right right there. I, I won't I won't know what you're talking about because I'll be focusing on that. But that's yeah, okay. you just you just focus on yeah. the Rocky Road or <laughs> yeah, something like that. You know, food and yeah. a partner and kids, whatever you want, yeah. whatever works. So that's that's one. And the other thing you asked me about COVID, geez, uh, what's not been going right, COVID? But I was the point is. <laughs> Uh, you know, times are challenging. Absolutely. You know, I woke up to a huge, huge loss of revenue. Like all my speaking engagements just went to zero. I kind of just went, uh, what do I do? But luckily I saw my day job, so I wasn't too worried. But yeah. the, the key message that I have for people is the following. Understand who the real enemy is. A lot of people, when I ask them, who's your enemy, James? Who's your enemy, Michael? Who's your enemy, Julie? They always respond something like this. You know that guy who cut me off in traffic? You know, my wife has been doing this. My husband has been doing that. I was like, wait, whoa, why are you bringing your partner into this? I just asked you who the enemy was. But the point is, the point that I'm trying to drive is that we all have the same enemy. And that enemy is time. You can throw money wow. at time. You can yell at time. You can scream at time. You can tell time to F off. You can tell a bunch of things to time. Time always wins in the end. And for some reason, James, a lot of people are using 2020 as an excuse to do nothing. They go, oh, yeah, you know, 2020 is canceled. As if you can go to a bank and get a loan back for it. Hey, can you just <laughs> add a year to my lifespan? Is that like a possibility? What well, interest do I have to pay? You can't do it. I, uh, I have so, not yeah, heard of that just yet, yeah. That's the point. So was I depressed for a couple of days? Absolutely. I mean, I worked really hard to build that practice up. So it wasn't, yeah. uh, wasn't too fun. But I asked myself, okay. How do I reinvest this time? What what can I do? So I gathered a bunch of people that I knew, a lot of smart friends of mine. I just said, what should I do, guys? And they said, well, your focus has always been on YouTube, so just start creating content a lot more. So I started writing my content years in advance. I'm currently writing my content for 2023 as of this recording, right? So that's how far I am. So I'm just writing a YouTube script every day because I can't fly out anymore, right? That's one. Yeah. Two, guest on a 1,000 podcasts. This is probably my 300th show. 
You know, I usually never take, I never say yes to podcasts usually, right? But now, you know, we've got all the time in the world. So let's just. <laughs> <laughs> your, your commute is zero right now. So, you know, might yeah. as well roll out of bed. And, uh, yeah. Might as well just roll out a bunch of podcasts as possible. Then when I'm flying out again, you know, I start saying yeah. no again. So that's two. Yeah. And then three, tr- sh- pivot very quickly from a speaking business to a, to a coaching business. So once again, I usually don't take a lot of coaching clients because it's a lot of time investment, right? Versus making a video or giving a speech and not being accountable to the result, though I can deliver it, obviously. But now, since I was forced to transition, and now I do much now my revenue is a lot better than it was pre-COVID. But I think the idea that I the 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 message I want to share with people is the people that win, right? This is entrepreneurship life anywhere, are the people that know how to reinvest their time are the people who know how to optimize it. And the people that are ultimately going to win when COVID is over because everyone else, you know, who has been doing nothing, not taking action. COVID's over. They're walking, you know, they're like, finally COVID's over. I'm going to go travel. The people have been grinding their faces off when COVID, when COVID is over, trust me, James, I'm sprinting. <laughs> I know exactly what my next moves are. So it's all, it's all, it's all mindset at the end of the day. And, and I will say, so, that literally was kind of a, a, a trick question, a setup question, just just to see where your mentality was. And, and I, I kind of sensed it, but I really wanted to do the doubting Thomas and actually hear it, right? Because again, if you sit and you rest on your laurels and you say, like say 2020 has been canceled, if you sit in those doldrums, if you sit in that negativity and that darkness, you will not be able to progress and move forward when the time does come that we are able to get out and do do things again. So stay active, stay mo- stay hungry, right? And, and we, I think we've got that, right? From an entrepreneur's perspective and, and folks that are uh, building businesses, building communications and things of that nature. But for the folks who are staying at home with the lights off, not going outside, afraid of everything, be aware, but don't be stagnant, right? Do not be stagnant. Don't, don't let this necessarily in your forward progression. So I, I really like how, how you uh, summarize kind of the things that you're doing to be ready. You said, what, 2023, you're already making content for the next two years. I mean, that, that's amazing, right? Right. And one concrete example I can give people to kind of define mindset, because I know a lot of people talk mindset, but they don't really explain it in concrete terms. Yeah. Think yeah. about the speaking business, right? There's two perspectives you can take right now. The first perspective, which most speakers have taken, is they go, well, the speaking business is dead. Right. You know, there's no more events. Uh, You know, events are gone. Events are over. My dream of being a speaker is over. I quit. And they throw in the towel. Whereas a very tiny percentage of speakers go, this is the best opportunity for any speaker in the world right now. You can do a bunch of online events. You can do 10 events a day instead of one. You can do 10 podcast interviews a day. So when the gates open again and those opportunities come up and you're you're the first person people think of because everyone else quit. Right. So when I'm done, like when COVID's over, I'm gonna have a full booked year. It's over. I'm gonna be too much. Like there's gonna be too many people. You are gonna need a break, right? Because uh, yeah, you 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 stay you stay mobile and you stayed active. That's 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 really cool. Really cool. Business is booming, man. So where is that? Where where can folks find you? I know I'll I'll put the the site up, but but talk to us about again. um, What's what are the really the next tangible steps for 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 you, Britain, and for for Massive Talking in of itself? Besides yeah, just making the content for the next couple of years, what's in the short term? Yeah, absolutely. For for me, the goal, the ultimate goal of, of Master Talk is to live in a world where nobody's scared of public speaking. So I want to be the modern day Dale Carnegie. Mm-hmm. And I think the unfortunate story of Dale's work 
is Dale was born in the wrong time period of history. We don't have a Dale Carnegie YouTube channel. We don't have a Dale Carnegie podcast. And I want to be that person for the world so that when I'm dead, people can learn from me forever. So if you're someone who's a founder, someone who's anybody who wants to get better at communication, check out the YouTube channel, which is Master Talk in One Word. I share all my content for free, pretty much 99% of it I give away. And if you want to message me directly, you want to ask me for tips, especially if you're a founder and you want me to look at your pitch deck, I'll do it for free. You can just message me directly on Instagram. So the handle for that is Master Your Talk. Yeah, I will definitely put uh, those links in in the show notes so folks can get in contact with you because I mean, I mean, I mean the the work that you are doing is, is, is good work, right? And I think it's, it's necessary work. And I really like the fact that you're tapping a market, the youngsters, that get them before they get too disheveled and too focused on one particular path, right? Get get them while you can still mold them and have the conversations. It's easier to teach the young dog the tricks than, than the old dog, that, that kind of thing. And having professionals, business folks, mentors, especially with our teens is incredibly powerful. And having those mentors to help with strategies for life, for business, for communication, I think, I think is also valuable. So uh, what, what you're doing, I think it should be commended. And I want to say uh, we all thank you for that, sir. I appreciate that, James. Thanks for having me on. Brennan, you're, you're a good man. Let's, let's stay in touch. I wish you well. Stay safe during this COVID period. And like I say, I will put all of your contact information in the show notes. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Likewise, brother. Be good. And men of 17, 24 have stopped going to college because they cut off their football programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I blame the state of California for that. I mean, you that was a, that was something that would uniquely identify a special demographic to schools to bring men of color onto their campuses to create innovation, education, and so on and so on. And you cut it off. You allow these schools to be able to cut it off and run behind whatever excuse they wanted to run behind, whether it was budgetary, uh, Title IX. Whatever it is, you allowed them to run behind and cut their program because you felt it was easier to just to do that dynamic instead of to deal with the real crisis at hand. And that means bringing these people back, bringing these young young men back to campuses, letting them compete competitive, and letting them get their degree. You got to think about it. With those six schools, and if you mm-hmm. take a couple of the private schools, so let's say if you take Humboldt State, Chico, Sonoma, San Francisco State, Cal State, East Bay, and Long Beach State, and let's talk, also think about Menlo College, UC Santa Barbara, St. Mary's, and Santa Clara all had football. All of them mm-hmm. had football. That's a, that's ten schools. Of those ten schools, graduated ten men of color every year for the last twenty-five years. Would have a twenty-five hundred workforce of men of color in the state of California, educated. That means they can go to work. They can have they have jobs in these companies. They would be able to go back to the community. They would be able to reach to other people. They would change their family dynamic. They would have intellectual intellectual uh, uh, wealth at that point. They could go do tremendous amount of things. If they all that five, that twenty five hundred reached out to just two more people, that's seventy five hundred people <laughs> in a trajectory to get college. That's a whole town. 
That's yeah. a whole company that could change the whole dynamic of a whole community of a whole of a whole economic system. You know, you no longer you're no longer on the corner hustling. You're actually paying taxes. You're making yeah. forty thousand dollars a year. You're opening your own business. You're becoming entrepreneurs. You're you're climbing up the corporate ladder. You 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 got a development skill set. You're more wealth to your family. Your kids probably now will become going to college because you set that tone at that point. You've you've opened up a whole dynamic that was there that they cut off. And that's just my football. Yeah. So let me so let me ask a question that I'm kind of known for, just throwing throwing a curveball, right? So where do you think you can influence into changing this entire dynamic, right? Is it is it legislative, or is it more on the educational side, right? Is it actually being part of a schools school district, a school administration piece, or is it actually going to the state capital? talking to the I, lobbyists and talking to those folks or is it a combination I, of both i think it might be a combination of both i think i think when we have to talk to the individual schools and the athletic directors at those schools and yeah. ask them you know and and also talk to admissions at those schools as well as the presidents and ask them first ask them the reason why and why they're not making an effort to bring it back hmm. uh, because i because i truly believe at the state at the state schools you could actually have football with non-scholarship and those schools will be they would thrive with, with student athletes wanting to come there in the state of California, because let's be honest, hmm. kids want to stay closer to home. They want to play. You know, mm-hmm. FAFSA will cover a mass majority, especially of the people that are lower income, and state schools are affordable. So with that all being said, they would play under the non-scholarship rule because schools like USD, University of San Diego, has been able to do it for years and be successful. So why couldn't we implement that same program at these Division two, Division two schools at the state level, at state school levels, the Cal State E-Base and so on, the non-scholarship, have a plan for them to do it for the next five years, to, to grow, to be able to get those money games, to put influence money into to the program, to be able to haul, have all those things to be, so it can be self-sufficient at that point. And now we can continue to have our kids with uh, with with the with the um with the with the support system being here here in California, and then to be mm-hmm. able to play and represent their school in front of us. You know, it would be you would yeah. have a high success rate. You you you're, you're touching all the right buttons, and and I'm, I'm looking over here, and I got another screen going, and and okay. I, right now, no more. And the reason being is I've got a number of college athletes, people who play college sports, that are watching right now, and they're saying, "Martellos have you know this is a great conversation because this is resonating with them, and wishing that something like this had been." talked about more accessible, whatever the case may be, right, when, when, when they were playing. And that's really why I asked you the question of where can you, again, influence into the system more? You know, is it from yeah. more from the administrative piece or is it more from the legislative piece? I mean, if, if we need to get you on the line with, with Gavin Newsom himself or, or whatever, or the, <laughs> or the chancellor at uh, UC Davis, you know, what, what, what needs to yeah. happen to have this? Because you're just talking football. Right, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you've kind of just narrowed the numbers down and just talk about that particular sport. But if we had this conversation about sports in general, so yep. track and field, baseball, volleyball, whatever the case may be, yeah. And and I, I don't, I'm 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 I don't know enough, but I don't know if it's cost so much from a financial perspective to even implement it's, something like this, right? Because see, almost everything is dollars and cents, right? And you know, that's yeah, the reason why but to, things. But, I, and I can I can address that kind, of, and I'm I'm gonna address yeah. it with football particularly. Football is a one is probably the number one money making sport out of all those six schools, state schools that were there. Football makes yeah. the most money out of all of yeah. them. It makes the most money than basketball, so on and so on, all of mm-hmm. them because it draws so much more of a crowd. One, the way football works is that they can draw money games. Humboldt was a, Humboldt was on before they cut their program. 
they're on the right sense. They were scheduling Idaho states where they would get 300000 They were scheduling okay. schools like UC Davis, so they were getting money. So that's what I'm saying. Go non-scholarship in the beginning and figure out your plan to be able to make it self-sufficient. So the UC Davis is a world. I mean, UC Davis has done very successful, but let's say the humble states of the world can now can make a money game playing against San Jose State where they would get $600,000 to play against them. That would fund their whole program the whole for the whole year. So if you have a coach and a, a fundraiser or athletic department that can show them the way, all those schools could be self-sufficient within four years. But in the meantime, you can open the door for non-scholarship players to come participate in there and get the program off the ground. I, I can guarantee you there is 100 yeah. kids in Oakland that would love to play for Cal State East Bay. Yeah. I guarantee it. I guarantee there's kids from Sacramento and, and Northern California that would love to play for Chico and Humboldt State. I guarantee they can find 100, 100 participants to participate and play and, and, and get their program off the ground and start. Now, the cost would be travel, obviously, is a, is a big cost, and the cost of the yeah. coaches. But again, if they're but they're bringing in a, 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 enough of a revenue to help cover that nut or cover most of that nut, why yeah. not bring the sport back? Because you're attracting a whole different demographic to your campus. It is, it, you know, you, you, you that's pretty you good. Have it all that's there. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, uh, I, I, I'm taking mental notes because because I don't I don't think this conversation is done. I, I you know <laughs> I I, <laughs> I I I'm probably considering that that I do we do a panel have some type of conversation yeah. around subject matter experts in this field. I I'm not one of those, but I would love to to moderate or you know help produce something like that. And I think getting other athletes, other collegiate athletes, folks that are in it, some type of administration, some folks that are in some type of uh, legislation as well, and ask that hard question, the why it is the mm -hmm. way it is, and, and, and give some examples of some possibilities. I think that's a conversation that needs to happen, and I, I, I know that would be a, a decent discussion, for, especially for the parents who are in the, in the position right now of trying to figure out where their student athletes should go and kind of help calm some of the anxiety that the student athlete themselves is probably feeling right now because they don't know where to go. One, because of all this pandemic and lockdown. And two, because there's not, there doesn't look like there's many opportunities when in fact there really could be, right? If exactly. we just think about, if we just think about the system in a different way. Does that yes. make sense? Yep. I, I, agree, I agree with you 100%. I mean, and, uh, you know, I would love to be a part of the panel or be a part of a, or somebody can shoot questions at me. I'm ready yeah. for rapid fire, whatever they want, whatever they want to throw. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm think I'm well versed in what's going on, and there's something I don't know. I'll be I'll be open and honest that I don't know, but I do know there's a way that that these programs should be able to get back off and running, and it shouldn't be a situation where it's so cost effective that they can't do it because there's money in the state, there's money in the budget. Like I said, there's a 1.5 billion surplus in in the education part of California. So you can't tell me there's not no, no money there. You just don't want to spend it. And and mm. and, I, and me personally, I think it's personal. I take I take your personal because I think you're excluding that demographic of educated men of color. Period. I don't want to hear it. There's no there's nothing else because that sport that's what we grab that what gravitates to men of color to participate yeah. in that sport. So yeah. why are you cutting off that one dynamic? If that's the case, then cut off women's soccer. They won't do that because they know they'll hell will be raised. Right, right. They won't right. do that. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's just real, right? I mean, yeah, that's just a, a real conversation, and you have to ask those hard questions to folks that are in in the know and, and see what they say, right, yep. and, and and hold them accountable to that. So, I mean, I, I love it. So I will, I'm will. i going to take this action item to continue this conversation. I'll make sure that you're involved in that.